Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, where each week we discuss new ideas and tactics to help you succeed in business, relationships, and life. And now your host, Tim Stoddard. Mic check, mic check. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddard. Welcome to the Tim Stodds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's get right into this week's interview. My guest this week is Ross Simmons. Ross is the founder of Foundation Marketing. Foundation Marketing is a renowned content marketing agency that works with some of the fastest growing startups, uh, some of the fastest growing consumer products, and even works with a few global Fortune 500 companies. Ross is also the founder of Hustle & Grind, which is an e-commerce store developed specifically for entrepreneurs. He's a published author. He wrote the book Stand Out. He wrote The Hustle Manifesto. And he's also a prolific speaker who has been booked in speaking engagements all over North America in regards to his marketing skills and his business acumen. Ross is super cool. He's, he's great to talk to. I had a, a great time speaking to him and learning about him. One of the things that impressed me most about Ross is his understanding on how companies can strategize and find content to double down on to reach their desired audience. One of the themes around our conversation was this idea of repeating yourself, this idea of remixing the same content lots of different times. And in the interview, uh, I expressed that it's something that I struggled with because as a writer and as a creative, there's a lot of times where I think to myself, I've already written about this, I've already spoken about this. But if you want to grow, if you want to really find your tribe, sometimes the best thing to do is repeat yourself. Sometimes the best thing to do is find new engaging ways to say the same thing so that your message uh, is really compounded on itself and it, and it reaches the people that need to hear it most. So this was a great interview. Uh, Ross is the man. We had a great time talking to each other. I know you're going to get so much out of this interview. Uh, and with that, please help me welcome Ross Simmons. Let's rock and roll. Ross, thank you so much for joining me on my show. I am uh, been reading your work for a while. I'm a fan of your message and your strategies with marketing. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Likewise, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to share. I'm excited to dive in and hopefully we can give the listeners a lot of good insights and takeaways that they can apply in their life careers, et cetera. Let's do it. Great. I'm going to start off with the question that I start off almost every episode because it doesn't always apply. And sometimes I get great stories, sometimes not. But I want to know, what does your Twitter background stand for? Yeah, good question. So the Twitter background that I have currently is just a black background with Mm -hmm. a few little lines. Um, And if you can think about my name, Ross Simmons, you'll know that Ross is close to half the amount of characters as Simmons. Thus, the squares represent the difference in character length of my names. It's actually subtly built off of an inspiration from the Magna Carta album by Jay-Z probably eight, nine years ago, um, which in my opinion was some of the best album artwork of all time and they use lines and rectangles to represent a lot of the text that was blocked in the Magna Carta because it was um, banned text and as such that inspiration came from there so uh, that's what the background on my Twitter profile was inspired by I fucking love that it's been 
like you never know because I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, well maybe this is just a logo that some designer put together. And Ross was like, yeah, cool. I like it. But I don't know. There's something about people's Twitter backgrounds where everybody always wants it to really mean something to them. And uh, it's been my favorite question to ask. So, so, okay, let me stick with that a little bit. Right. What does the, flip the switch on you though like you asked me that question now i have to ask you what's the what's your background mean okay well before we started recording we were talking about the philadelphia eagles and we were talking about our love for brian dawkins right yeah the background on my twitter is my dog who has since died he passed away and his name was dawkins and um i got sober 10 years ago and i had dawkins when he was a tiny tiny little pup and he saw me through like the last two years of the terrors of of my addiction saw me through recovery moved with me to florida while like i got my life together and so when Dawkins passed you know it sounds crazy to say this because i've lost friends and family members and like when my grandfather died and stuff like that like i don't want to say that i loved the dog more than my grandfather because that's not true but the pain i felt when i lost my best friend like that it just wrecked me and so it's just my own little way of keeping him with me you know that's awesome that's awesome i love it i love the name i love the story my condolences but uh dawkins will live on i like it sure will for sure uh okay so let's talk about your work you're involved in a lot of stuff i don't even really know uh, like the best place to start so i figured i would start with your most recent article that you wrote on your personal blog um I had to pull up. All right. Yeah. So you talk about a content marketing remix and this is something that is so cool because with my own personal website with timstods.com, I've been flirting with this idea of investment, right? And we hear investment and we think like the stock market, whatever, but with the internet, there's this new kind of buzz phrase, this new mentality around compounding, right? And if you keep putting stuff out there, if you keep creating content, if you keep sending out your message and building your brand. It's not like each piece of article is just another plus one, right? right? They all stack stack up on each other. And then what happens is you can take this content, chop it up. You can redistribute it to different platforms. You can take this idea and, and create little nuances around side ideas, almost let's call it. So you articulated it in this article much better than I did, but I'd like you to just kind of wrap on this concept for a minute. Yeah, for sure. So I think when you look at culture at large, everything that we touch, everything that we do is a remix of some idea, some concept, some type of material, some theory, some idea that's been put out there by anyone or someone. Um, And over time, when you look at human society, like we've evolved through the consistent embracement of remixes. Like if you think about music, it's all remixes of past types of art, past forms of technology, and it continues to evolve and change. It may have started with a basic rock and a rock banging up against a piece of glass. And then over time that continued to evolve where we started to get things like guitars. And then that turned into synthesizers and that turned into technology where we're able to extract beat sounds and bring them to life with different sounds. All of these things are just remixes. And when we think about content and marketing and creating stories, et cetera, for some reason, a lot of us have forgotten the importance of remixing things that not only we create, but that others have created in turning them into our own. So when we press publish on a piece of content, there's an opportunity for that piece of content 
to get better and to be approved upon by embracing the remix. If you publish a blog post, for example, that blog post that I created, that is able to very easily now be remixed by me and my team and turning that into a podcast snippet. It can be turned into a YouTube video. It can be turned into an Instagram story. It can be turned into a Twitter thread. So by remixing not only the things that you create, but also taking inspiration from others, you can constantly be identifying ways to build what you've been describing and talking about as a compound interest, where the compounding growth of that one single asset that you developed has a lifetime and a life cycle that exists beyond that original publishing date. So I press publish on a piece January 4th, 2023. February 4th, 2025, I can still share that asset. I can still promote it. I can still take sections of it and turn it into an infographic, turn it into a slide share. I always talk about this idea that if you can create something once and distribute it forever, life becomes easier. And the same idea applies in music. I don't know. You're going to get into this world very soon. I know you're uh, going to be a new dad soon. Um, There's a song, Baby Shark, and Baby Shark has been remixed by every single genre in every single niche. And it's essentially one song that has just constantly been remixed, but it gives people, depending on your own interest in music, a bit of variety and a little bit of different um, way to hear the sound and the music. So you don't like beat your head over the drum by this song that your kids are obsessed with. (laughs) Different versions, ones with trap, ones with rap. You can hear a country version. You can hear an electronic version. And by embracing those remixes, the creators have generated more reach for their business, for their um, song, et cetera. And then for the end user, you're able to now get something that is more tailored and specific to you and the way that you want to consume it. So I think that's the, that's the play with the remix. And I think the possibilities are truly only limited by our own ability to be creative. I love the idea of this because it touches on something that I struggle with pretty often. And that is the idea of, I, I always feel like I need something new to say, right? But in a lot of cases, if you can have just one idea and you can say the same thing over and over and over again in a way that keeps people engaged, keep people entertained. I think you do this really well. This is something that I always um, admired from afar. I do not have the patience to write content and then chop it up and be on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram. I'm a blog, Twitter, email kind of guy. It's just my, my bread and butter, you know? But you... You're, it's very like Vaynerchuk-esque, I suppose, where you really appreciate the context of a platform. So the videos you do on LinkedIn are very different than like the kind of stuff that you will put on Twitter, you know, but you're saying the same thing right. over and over and over and over again. And I just have not had the patience to do that. Maybe I'm just too creative or maybe I'm just too like anxious, right? But how has that been working for you from like a practical, tangible standpoint? So it works ridiculously well and beyond just me, like there's tons of case studies that demonstrate by saying the same thing over and over again, you're able to increase your likelihood of success because the message is going to be more likely to resonate with people and you're going to Mm -hmm. get them aligned with your worldview and your perspective. Nike's been around for like 57 years now and they've said, just do it for years and decades, right? And they say it every single day, just do it. That's the mantra. 
But at the core of it, there's a bunch of different values that grow up into that story. So the benefit of having a message and owning that message is that it becomes implanted in people's minds where they associate you with that specific story. So for me, there's a lot of key messages, but the ultimate one is that distribution is underrated and that we need to create once and distribute forever. So that story is something that I talk about often and it's kind of become my just do it, so to speak, um, in many regards. And that story can be applied across a lot of different vehicles. So when you do find the story that you want to own and that you want to be aligned with, the key is to make sure that there's some legs with it and that you can go down different paths. So you can talk about different areas and different focuses. Um, and with distribution, the great benefit is I can talk about distribution on Reddit, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok. So there's an unlimited supply of stories that I can tell out of that. Uh, it's worked well because people are coming to foundation, my agency, with the desire of getting our distribution services because they know foundation talks about distribution, Ross talks about distribution. So we want to hire foundation to provide us with distribution services and solutions. It's also worked in the sense that people are also coming to us for branding advice when it comes to how can we start to own a story? How can we start to own a narrative too? So I think I always lean heavily on the classics and studying the greats. And in my mind, Nike is one of the the greatest brands of our generation, probably of even our kids' generation, and it will continue to be. And one thing they've done is they've owned that idea of just do it. And they have done it time and time again, and they've never strayed away from it. And if they can create a multi-billion dollar business by doing so, the hypothesis is simple. Why not follow after what has already worked? Um, so embrace it. What, what are some of the other brands? Oh, two questions. Did you read Shoe Dog? I have read Shoe Dog. Amazing book. Yeah. So good. I was like so just entertained by it. I never realized that he was such a good, simple conversational storyteller. I loved it. I couldn't put it down. Yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed it as well. I thought um, it was this one of those stories that you grow up hearing like parts of. It was kind of a how would I describe it? It was in many ways a folktale. And yeah. then reading the book, it's like, okay, so, so many elements of that folktale that we heard as kids about this Nike book, like movement um, are actually real. So it was, it was cool. Yeah. And then second question on that, from listening to you in the short time we've been talking, it seems to me like you really, you mentioned that I, I take after the greats, right? You look for these underlying lessons that you can see from people who've done it before who else would you look up to i mean it sounds like nike is almost your your idol from a branding repetition distribution standpoint so who else do you like to emulate yeah so nike's one but there's there's plenty so i love disney and their entire model i think disney's one of those brands that have done a phenomenal and the reason why i love disney is because they're content first right like they're very content first brand and that aligns well with our industry and in my space and just being someone who obsess and loves the idea of content. And what they've always done, and if you look back at some of the early work done by Walt Disney, he mapped out like the Disney way. And the Disney way was a creation process that Disney went through with every movie, with every film that they produced. 
that had interlying connections to the way that they did merchandising, the way that they set up their parks, the way that they did licensing for products, et cetera. But at the core was always the idea. And it was the Disney idea. It was had to go through a handful of steps before it was approved. Um, and it talks through that creation process. And that graphic is something that essentially has acted as the Disney business model. But another graphic that is less likely to be shared and is less commonly seen by folks is the actual distribution strategy that Disney also created. And this is out there as well online. You can look it up. It's an amazing visual, but it shows how they distribute their stories after pressing publish as well. And I think one of the other most underrated realities when it comes to content and storytelling that Disney was able to get in the early days is the importance of distributing their stories just as much as it is important to create these stories. So sure, yes, it's important that you can tell an amazing story about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But what's more important is that you can get that story in the eyes and in the hearts of millions of people all over the globe through translations, through merchandising, through movies, through VHS, and then evolving to Blu-ray, whatever, you have to be able to have that in lock. And Disney did an excellent job at that to really create, in many ways, a mini universe around all of their properties, which then turned into a park. And they always focused on the experience. So I love the Disney model as well. One of the other things that Disney does ridiculously well that not a lot of people realize is they embrace the remix. Like, if you look at Disney's movies, they are oftentimes just remixes of old, ancient stories. Lion King... Hamlet, like folks who are not familiar with Shakespeare, read Hamlet. That's exactly what Lion King is. Well, and it's also Cain and Abel, Scar it's, and uh, Mufasa. It's, it's the oldest story that we have, right? Yeah, they take old ancient stories. They throw yeah. some mammals in it. They throw some lions and tigers. <laughs> oh my. And that's it. Um, and they embrace that through their entire livelihood of the business. Uh, even with Abbott... Is Avatar, I don't think Avatar is them, but Avatar is a ripoff of Pocahontas. But like, there's tons of examples where these movies are just like taking inspiration from old stories and turning them into something new. So I think there's a lot of inspiration you can take from that as well. Yeah, a little side note. I love Disney too because they're kind of like the last great American company. You know, right. they're not one of these network effect tech giants it's actually from like the outside in as opposed to just like let's get everybody and suck them into this sinkhole um yeah and plus i forget his name uh i'm sure that you know it, but i heard a podcast with the ceo of disney on tim ferris's podcast oh, wow. and he uh just struck me as a well-versed intelligent guy robert Iger. i think they may have gotten a new ceo but he was the most popular one of the last few decades yeah the new one is bob Chapek. it looks like um but robert yeah his work was phenomenal and they created an amazing business yeah. um it's uh, it's definitely one of my favorite brands and then again i could geek out on this for years if i go into the b2b lane no one can deny the impact that salesforce has had on software um company. they have done an amazing job i think mark benioff has done an excellent job at marketing and embracing events even amidst covid uh he's done a it's underrated what he's been able to do from an acquisition standpoint like from a resource allocator perspective the dude is amazing like he just understands resource allocation and acquiring companies that continue to increase the value of salesforce 
and essentially establish a very strong competitive moat where they're close to unshakable at this point. So, um, and then on top of that, he embraces a very cool approach to business in general, where he um, has built up his own persona uh, around who he is and what he represents. He's not afraid to get into trouble in terms of speaking truth to power. Mm-hmm. Um, he has his values. He speaks to them. And there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a big studier and history buff as it relates to business and, and what works well. Yeah, I really thought Salesforce was going to buy Twitter a couple of years back. I, I thought that would have been such a home run for them because that would have worked within their software. I, I haven't used Salesforce in a while. I think they call it cloud chat or something. Yeah. Um, it's basically just like a chat network that they can use with people within the CRM, but also with un- other teammates. And I would have liked that because again, I, I, I forget his name, but as you say, he's always just been very honest. It's not like he's got some power struggle. He just kind of says what he's trying to do. And he put out a statement on like why he believes in Twitter and the democratization of content and like how fucked up it's gotten over the last couple of years. So I thought that would have been cool. hundred percent. Yeah, no, I love, uh, the work that Mark Benioff has done over the years, I think it's been fascinating to watch. Okay, great. Well, thank you for going down that road with me. I want to get selfish for a second. The whole reason why I do this podcast is because it's a way for me to get good ideas from smart people. Like and it. I, I, I haven't struggled with brands that are outside of myself, right? I'm actually pretty good at stepping away, being in the background, understanding the market, understanding the strategy, and yep. just executing all that. I got a great team. I've never had a hard time with that. But I'm, I'm getting to the point where, you know, there's something that like I want to start building for myself, like my own little legacy. You, you nailed this, this distribution idea. And, right. you know, I think the idea of, of personal brand is kind of gimmicky, but it applies, right? And I've just been thinking of what I want to do with my own message, like my own blog, my own podcast. And the thing that keeps coming up in my head is what we spoke about before uh, with this idea of like invest in yourself, right? Because the work that you do today pays off in the future. And right. it's the, the reason why that's difficult is because it's not guaranteed. Like I can't guarantee that the work I do today will pay off in the future. But at the same time, I can guarantee that if I continuously do work today, right. something will pay off in the future. Yeah. So, this is a bit of a loaded question. Um, I'm really just kind of pitching for advice on this, but if this was you and you were tinkering around in your brain about how you would package this and, and distribute this, what advice would you give me? Yeah. So I think it would start by asking you another question, which is like, what is the end deliverable that you want to offer people with this? So how does this translate into impacting you and your business or your service or a solution that you're offering? Like, What is the deliverable or service that you're looking to offer? And is it aligned with that? Because if you're offering and talking about marketing, it's a different lane that you might want to take. If you're offering personal life coaching, okay, now we're close. That feels a little bit closer to what you're talking about. Um, So you want to figure out what the end deliverable is that you're offering and make sure that there's a parallel connection there first and foremost. So what is the end deliverable that you want this audience to buy into or want to purchase or acquire? (laughs) This is the perfect question because I was literally just thinking about this as I was working out. Well, I've been thinking about it for the last month. Yeah. The straightforward thing is the 
create products, right? That's the thing that comes into your mind. I have a ton of experience with agencies. Uh, I have a ton of experience with lead generation. Like I know I can package up a course and sell it. Right. I don't know why that doesn't really speak to me. I just don't feel that passionate about it. But what I love doing and what I've done a lot in 2020, I've I've basically saved all my money. So I had a, a lot of cash is I've started investing in companies um, cool. some small ones, obviously copy blogger was like a significant acquisition for me, but what I'm thinking about doing, because this is a new approach is using my brand to build awareness around a fund. Uh, right. And it's never been done that way before, because usually if you want to have a fund, you need to know a bunch of people. Like you need to be in Silicon Valley and you gotta be like in, right. But what if I'm able to create a brand and create content that talks about investing ideas and talks about new opportunities. And then the deliverable is basically like, give me some cash and let's invest in companies together. I think that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. So in that regard, I think you're aligned, right? Like you, if you're going down that path and you're talking about investing in yourself and there being ROI at the end of the tunnel, et cetera, um, it's, it's starting to get a little bit more clear on, okay, this is why I should connect with Tim. This is why I should listen to this story. Um, and then you want to put yourself in the shoes of either one of two people, the yeah. people who would potentially invest in you or the people who you would invest in and start thinking about what type of story do I need to tell to attract people who would invest in me? And does this messaging and this content that I'm talking about align with their interests and vice versa with people who you would invest in? Like what value are you going to bring them from a content standpoint and a storytelling standpoint? How is that going to show them that yes, you want, they want Tim in their corner and as an investor? I think that makes a lot of sense. What do you think about the idea? You think it's got legs? Yeah, I think so. I think at the end of the day, execution is always the key piece. Like if you execute on it and embrace iteration, like the market always speaks for itself. Mm. So spend two weeks or two months going at this and you're seeing, okay, we're seeing engagement, traction on certain tweets. We've cr- we're creating Twitter threads on this topic. The engagement's there, the impressions are there. That's when you know you have content market fit. And I think one of the pieces that I often will talk about is that exact idea, which is content market fit. Think about the market that you're trying to reach. Think about the content that you're going to create and how it fits with that market. If that market resonates with the content that you're creating, then you have content market fit. Once you have that, it's a very simple game. You double down on the stories that are generating engagement and you start to tell those stories in different ways because people are going to continue to respond to them and interact with them. So you're looking at analytics and you're going a full month where you're just talking about this idea. Then at the end of the month, you can say, okay, my followers went from 1,500 to 2,500. That's great. I made a thousand new followers. Which pieces of content did I publish that drove the vast majority of that growth? You then look at them, you reverse engineer them, you study them, and then you apply that insight to your future content. So that piece that you shared two weeks ago that took off, okay, how can I say this exact same thing in a different way? Or you start something and it's a bit controversial and people are all heated and excited and that stirred up a bunch of combo that resulted in some people saying, hey, Tim, what are you up to? I would love to invest in whatever you have going on. Double down on that type of content. So it really does come from iteration on your own story and looking for cues from the market on what they want, how they want to receive it, and then changing course if you necessarily need to. 
Yeah, I love that. I've found myself maturing a lot as more of a technical marketer. Um, In the beginning, it was just like, I just want to write and tell as many stories as possible. And I'm not going to pay too much attention to the data. I still probably could be more technical. I just don't like it. You know what I mean? (laughs) So uh, I I don't know. Shoot me, whatever. But a hundred percent. Yeah. But I do think as I've just gotten older and more patient, especially because when you're young or restless, just like, okay, I need to write another one and like watch the live Google analytics to see if people like my shit as opposed to just staying focused on the process. Um, But yeah, I want to tinker around that idea for a little bit in terms of content market fit. That's just such a cool concept and it's so simple, you know, and like, I should have thought of that obviously, but I want to learn about how, how far do you go into the data? Is it like an algorithm where it's just like, boom, this is it. I found my secret sauce. I'm going to run with this until the wheels fall off. Or do you continue to mix in like creativity and nuance in your content? A hundred percent. So I think um, the best creative comes from a bit of constraint. And when you give yourself some rules and you give yourself some walls, it forces you to get a little bit more creative. So when you are telling yourself the types of content that I'm going to publish are X, Y, and Z with a splash of this, that's a constraint. And then when you are forced in your mind to live in that constraint, you're going to have some of the best ideas of your life because you aren't in a situation where you can publish and create about anything. When you can create about anything, it's easy. The game's easy. You can talk about the coffee you had last week. You can talk about the fact that you stumped your toe. You can talk about anything. But when you constrain yourself to a specific world that you want to speak in and that you want to talk about, creativity is more difficult, but creativity is also improved because you are forced to get rid of all of the easy ideas. All of the easy stuff comes out first. In the first few months, you get all the easy ones done. And then you are forced to elevate your thinking to come up with ideas within your same bubble, but that are different, that are unique, that are completely new, that are not as easy to come up with. So at that point, you have to go down different lanes where you're starting to read nonfiction, you're starting to read psychology, you're starting to learn about therapy, starting to learn about all of these different things and apply it back to your niche so you can come up with interesting angles and ideas that nobody else has come up with on your topic, in your new realm that you are focused on. This is exactly why I love doing this podcast so much. I've, as my podcast has grown, you know, people say like, well, what's your best advice? I'm like, I don't know. I honestly just find people that I think are cool yeah. and use my podcast as an excuse to have like an uninterrupted hour long conversation with them. And okay. what's happened is this idea of constraint has come up so many times and it's totally given me a new perspective. And I have to kind of give you a, a little story with it. Um, mm-hmm. I've had a morning habit of waking up super early and writing a blog post for I don't even know how long. Um, I'm not quite Seth Godin-esque. Like I've done it every day for more than a year now. That's but cool. I would say I've, I've written 250-ish blog posts a year for like three years. But what's happened is exactly what you said. It's almost like my morning routine to just get all of the easy junk shit out. And so that way I can be a little bit elevated. And so in my mind, I'm kind of going back and forth, like, is this my personal brand? And as I've, I've grown and come up with this idea of wanting to work with young people in, in investing, because 
job markets aren't the same anymore. Like I almost feel like if you're a millennial or a Gen Z, like you have no choice, you know, like you have to build your own brand identity. Like you have to build something for yourself. And so I'm, I'm passionate about this message, but the point I'm getting at is after a while, I was in Sedona with my wife a couple of months ago and I finally decided this personal blog of mine has to be somewhere else because there's no constraint here. This right. is really just whatever I feel like talking about in the moment. And if I want to actually help people, especially young people with this message, like I need to constrain it to just this message and this message alone. So yeah. I had Jack Butcher on here that talked about constraint. I had Paulina um, Pompliano on a couple of weeks ago and she did a copy blogger thing with me last week where she talked about constraint and this idea just keeps coming up and keeps coming up. And the more I see it, the more I realize like, wow, that really is where the magic happens, where you force yourself to play within a particular sandbox. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that's, uh, that's the key. Like the moment you start watering it down and trying to do too many things, you just can do whatever you want. So you can essentially have a lot of mediocre assets that you're putting out You can put out anything and it's, it might resonate with someone somewhere. Uh, but when you constrain yourself, it, uh, it definitely limits it. And this is coming from someone who like loves to talk about all different variety of things. Like I have a book collection beside me with a bunch of different topics that have nothing to do with marketing. I've got one on construction, one on industrial design, one science fiction book, one on physics. Like it covers all various topics, right? Um, But I try to take inspiration from those different worlds and apply it to the world that I am associated with and that I'm trying to become um, an expert in even further. What's the physics book you're reading? It's a basic one. So it's just like literally a physics for scientists and engineers um, textbook. My wife has a uh, physics degree and I came across a bunch of her old books and I was like, oh, let's do this. So I've been uh, geeking out on some of her old textbooks and just like diving into the world of physics. The world of physics basically teaches you everything you need to know about life. It's much more philosophical than you would think it is. Even just simple things, you know, like there's so many times in life where I'm stressed out and I'm like, this is just entropy. And like, why am I actually freaked out about it? Because it's the most consistent thing in the universe. (laughs) Exactly. So it's been fun to go down those rabbit holes. And and I think it's also like key, like you want to spend time in different niches and different industries and different topics. Yeah, that's really cool. All right. Um, So let's start wrapping this thing up. Anytime I speak to agency owners, I always like to get on this topic a little bit because so much of, of what's going on online with entrepreneurship is about scale and, and leverage and all that. And I feel like service work is starting to get like a bad reputation. It's almost like frowned upon to sell time for money. So when you build an agency, you can scale it. And it's not as though every single aspect of your business is like, being built at an hourly rate. So I think there's some, some misconstraints there, but I do think that anytime somebody wants to get involved or wants to start their own business, the best place for them to start is just by doing some kind of service, like get as good as you possibly can at a skill, learn stupid shit like invoicing or like how to deal with clients, learn how to, the difference between a employee and a contractor, (laughs) you know? Um, I love to talk about this topic because I think it's very underrepresented and I think it's just a great place for people to start. So yeah. tell me about 
the things that you've learned simply by running a service business and, and yeah. talk about what it is too. Yeah. So uh, the service business that I run is foundation marketing. We are a marketing agency for B2B brands. We work with brands ranging from some of the fastest growing startups all the way through to publicly traded hundred year old brands that everyone knows and are familiar with that are primarily in the world of B2B. Um, and we create content for them. We help them distribute that content. We develop SEO strategies and execute on those strategies, manage everything from um, outreach to journalists, reporters, blog writers, et cetera, on their behalf, creating the content, setting up partnerships, influencer marketing, you name it, anything digital we essentially do. So long story, a little bit longer. How do we work and how does this world make sense still? I think at the end of the day, business is business. And in business, you can offer products and you can offer services. And we believe that- That's it. That's really it, right? Like for products or you can offer services. And we believe that even when you look at some of the most successful software companies, there's a reason why even some of them have a line item, which is service revenue, because they are offering services to some of their clients and they're providing that service because humans still want to work with humans. As much as we don't necessarily love always having the ability or being forced to talk to someone to sign up for a tool, at a certain level, when you're dealing with certain levels of engagements and you're dealing with certain types of numbers, you want a person to assist you. Uh, and when it comes to sensitive things like your brand voice and your tone and the way you write and the way that you're responding to things on social, we're not at a point yet where an AI can do that for you. Do I believe that AI is going to, with no question, fundamentally change the way that service businesses are run? Absolutely, 100%. But I also don't believe in any way that service businesses are are going to go away. I think there will always be a demand for people wanting to work with other people who can essentially serve them and provide them with service. Um, That's what has allowed humans to be so cool. Like I, I can't geek out enough about how much I love just humans and the way that we have adapted. And it's through collaboration. It's through partnerships. It's through service. It's by serving each other. From the moment we're born, we are interacting with service. Like our parents are serving us as toddlers to wipe our bums and do all of these things. It is fundamental, a part of us as humans to serve others. So I feel like it is a, um, it's a massive opportunity. I think when you're first getting started, it's a great way to get your shoe in the door, to generate revenue, to get your first taste of business. But at the same time, I will never knock product. I run product companies in addition to foundation. Um, I've ran software companies. I've run, I run an e-commerce site. Uh, I have sold information products. Like I have a deep understanding of the product world and I, without question, would lie if I said that we don't view it as a, a great diversification for our own business. Like we diversify our business by having product offerings and by selling products to people who may not be ready for a full-on content marketing engagement with us. They can take one of our courses. They can take one of our challenges, et cetera. So from my perspective, service is a great shoe in the door. It's also a great offering to provide people and the value of service will never go away, even if it may not be viewed as the most scalable option. The coolest thing about humans are we're not scalable things. Like we don't scale well, um, but we do interact and serve each other well, which allows us to scale. So um, I think service is not going anywhere anytime soon. I agree totally. And I think the most important thing you said out of a lot of wisdom that you just brought is that there's so much opportunity in service. Like 
it's it's a we work specifically in the healthcare industry so we have like a very very specific niche and so many times the answer is did this person feel like they were being taken care of and if they did then like what people want is basically just not to worry about it so that they can worry about the thing that they need to worry about the most. Exactly. And if you do that well, you can keep your clients for years and years and years. And, you know, I want to talk about your business the most. I'm not necessarily pitching myself, but it sounds like we're very much in line with just the simple but systematic idea of building a high profitable business by delivering great service. That's it. And Disney does that too. Like to go back to our initial conversation, like one of the things that Disney does extremely well is they focus on the service and the experience that you have with their products, their brand. If you've ever been to Disney World, you will attest. Like they get experience very, very well. You can wait in a lineup at Disneyland for two hours. I know. But throughout that experience, you are playing with things. You're looking at cool things. You have Minnie Mouse walking by. You have a bunch of toys that you can play with. Your kids are having fun. It's not a painful, dreadful experience. And when you think holistically as an experience, that's what people want. Um, And if you can productize your service, even better, right? Like if you can productize your service so it's scalable and you offer a very similar thing and it's not too custom where you have to start from scratch every time, that's when you can become really profitable as well. Yeah, this is amazing. I knew that we were going to have a great conversation. Uh, All right, so let's wrap this thing up. We got foundationinc.com, I believe it is. That's where we can learn about your agency. Um, Yep. RossSimmons.com, I, I think that's your personal writing, but also something that we didn't get to talk about because I have a very small t-shirt line. Do you, is, your, is your product line, is it on Shopify? It is. So yeah, we have hustleandgrind.co. Um, I think it's also hustleandgrind.com, but yeah, Hustle and Grind, that's our product line. We sell everything from coffee mugs to art and t-shirts, et cetera. Yeah, I always joke about one of the reasons it used to be a successful t-shirt line. It just kind of sits there now. And, and I'm fine with that because I think it delivers a product with a good message. But the freaking cha-ching sound that the Shopify app makes when you sell something is, I can't even tell you this. Like, it is so addicting to hear that cha-ching sound. And so when I saw that, I was like, yeah, Ross knows about the cha-ching. 100%. Yeah. It's like... It's the original, it's a play, and that's a remix on the ICQ and MSM with the uh oh and all of those things, right? Like, it's just like you want to hear that message when you first used to get the you've got mail, now it's cha ching, like that message. And that message sounds way better. Like, there's no, yeah, nothing better than that one. But yeah, uh, 100% have heard the cha ching many times. Great. Well, all of those links and your Twitter as well. What is it, my cool guy? Something at the coolest cool. Yeah, <laughs> the cool is cool. I will link all of those up in the show notes of this episode. If you want to see the show notes, if you want to see the full video conversation of Ross and I, you can go to timstodscom slash Ross dash Simmons. Uh, Ross, it was great talking to you. I really wish that this shit wasn't happening. I'd love to get together one day. I think we'd have just a great conversation over coffee or dinner or something. 100%. Let's definitely make it happen. I think uh, the pandemic will be behind us hopefully very soon. But uh, Tim, I appreciate you. I appreciate your listeners. And uh, I hope folks can walk away from this with some takeaways that uh, can help them in their careers and life. All right, man. Thank you so much. We'll do this again soon. Most definitely.
Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.